Chapter Fourteen of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: White Roses in a Law Office. As upon a world canopied with storm, hung with morning purple, and habited in black, did Mister Flitcroft turn his morning face at eight o'clock, anti-meridian Monday as he hied himself to his daily duty at the washington national bank yet more than the merely funereal gloomed out from the hillocky area of his countenance was there not a faith a glow a vesuvian shimmer beneath the murk of that darkling eye was here one think you to turn the other cheek little has he learned of norbert flitcroft who conceives that this fiery spirit was easily to be quenched look upon the jowl of him and let him who dares maintain that people even the very pikes themselves were to grind beneath their brougham wheels a prostrate norbert and ride on scatheless in this his own metaphor is nearly touched i guess not they don't run over me martin pike better look out how he tries it so mother nature at her kindly task good norbert uses for her ungent our own perfect inconsistency and often when we are stabbed deep in the breast she detracts us by thin scratches in other parts that in the itch of these we may forget the greater hurt till it be healed thus the remembrance of last night when you undisguisedly ran from the wrath of a pike with a pretty girl looking on to say nothing of the acrid art who will fling the legend on a thousand winds might well agonize you now as in less hasty moments and at a safe distance you brood upon the piteous figure you cut on the contrary behold you see no blood crimsoning the edges of the horrid gash in your panoply of self-esteem you but smart and scratch the scratches forgetting your wound in the hot itch for vengeance it is an itch which will last for in such matters your temper shall be steadfast and let the great goliath in the meantime beware of you you ran last night you ran of course you ran why not you ran to fight another day a bank clerk sometimes has opportunities the stricken fat one could not understand how it came about that he had blurted out the damning confession that he had visited beaver beach when he tried to solve the puzzle his mind refused the strain became foggy and the terrors of his position acute was he like joe louden to endure the ban of canaan and like him stand excommunicate beyond the pale because of martin pike's displeasure for Norbert saw with perfect clearness today what the judge had done for Joe. Now that he stood in danger of a fate identical, this came home to him. How many others, he wondered, would do as Mamie had done and write notes such as he had received by the hand of Sam Warden late last night? Dear sir, this from Mamie, who in the Canaanitish way had been wont to address him as Norb my father wishes me to state that after your remark yesterday afternoon on the steps which was overheard by my mother who happened to be standing in the hall behind you and your behavior to himself later on he considers it impossible to allow you to call any more 
or to speak to any member of his household. Yours respectfully, Mamie Pike. Erasures and restorations bore witness to a considerable doubt in Mamie's mind concerning yours respectfully, but she had finally let it stand, evidently convinced that the plain signature without preface savored of an intimacy denied by the context. Dear sir, repeated Norbert between set teeth, impossible to allow you to call him more these and other terms of his dismissal recurred to him during the morning and ever and anon he looked up from his desk his lips moving to the tune of those horrid phrases and stared out at the street basilesque glaring this with no christian softness in it not even when it fell upon his own grandfather sitting among the sages with an easy eye-shot from the big window at norbert's elbow however colonel flitcroft was not disturbed by the gaze of his descendant being in fact quite unaware of it the aged men were having a busy morning the conclave was not what it had been see arp and all his works there had come as the years went by a few recruits but faces were missing the two tabors had gone and uncle joe davy could no longer lay claim to the patriarchship he had laid it down with a half-sigh and gone his way eskew himself was now the oldest of the conscript fathers the colonel and squire buckaloo pressing him closely with peter bradbury no great time behind to-day they did not plant their feet upon the brass rail inside the hotel windows but courted the genial weather outdoors and as their summer custom was tilted back their chairs in the shade of the western wall of the building and who could have dreamed mr bradbury was saying with a side glance of expectancy at eskew that jonas tabor would ever turn out to have a niece like that mr arp ceased to fan himself with his wide straw hat and said grimly i don't see as jonas has turned out not in particular if he's turned at all lately i reckon it's in his grave and i'll bet he has if he had any way of hearing how much she must have spent for clothes i believe squire buckaloo began that young folks memories are short they're lucky interjected eskew the shorter your memory the less meanness you know i mean young folks don't remember as well as older folks do continued the squire i don't see what's so remarkable in her coming back and walking up street with joe loudon she used to go kitin round him all the time before she left here and yet everybody talks as if they never heard of such a thing it seems to me said colonel flitcroft hesitatingly that she did right i know it sounds kind of a queer thing to say and i stirred up a good deal of opposition at home yesterday evening by sort of mentioning something of the kind nobody seemed to agree with me except norbert and he didn't say much but he was interrupted by an uncontrollable cackle which issued from the mouth of mr arp the colonel turned upon him with a frown inquiring the cause of his mirth it puts me in mind mr arp began promptly of something that happened last night what was it eskew's mouth was open to tell but he remembered just in time that the grandfather of norbert 
was not the audience properly to be selected for this recital choked a half-born word coughed loudly realizing that he must withhold the story of the felling of martin pike until the colonel had taken his departure and replied uh, nothing to speak of go on with your argument i finished said the colonel i only wanted to say that it seems to me a good action for a young lady like that to come back here and stick to her old friend and playmate stick to him echoed mr arp she walked up main street with him yesterday do you call that sticking to him she's been away a good while she's forgotten what canaan is you wait till she sees for herself just what his standing in this com i agree with eskew for once interrupted peter bradbury i agree because then you better wait cried eskew allowing him to proceed no farther do you hear what you're agreeing to i say you take a young lady like that pretty and rich and all cultured up and it stands to reason that she won't no it don't screamed buckaloo impatiently nothing of the sort i tell you eskew rose to his feet and pounded the pavement with his stick it stands to reason that she won't stick to a man no other decent woman will speak to a feller that's been the mark for every stone throwed in the town ever since he was a boy an outcast with a reputation as black as a preacher's shoes on sunday i don't care if he's her oldest friend on earth she won't stick to him she walked with him yesterday but you can mark my words his goose is cooked the old man's voice rose shrill and high it ain't in human nature for her to do it you hear what i say you'll never see her with joe loudon again in this living world and she's as good as told me so herself last night you can take your oath she's quitting him already don't eskew paused abruptly his eyes widening behind his spectacles his jaw fell his stick raised to hammer the pavement remained suspended in the air a sudden color rushed over his face and he dropped speechless in his chair the others after staring at him in momentary alarm followed the direction of his gaze just across main street and in plain view was the entrance to the stairway which led to joe's office ariel tabor all in cool gray carrying a big bunch of white roses in her white gloved hands had just crossed the sidewalk from a carriage and was ascending the dark stairway a moment later she came down again empty-handed got into the carriage and drove away she missed him said squire buckley i saw him go out half an hour ago but he added and exercising a self-restraint close upon the saintly did not even glance toward the heap which was mr arp i noticed she left her flowers ariel was not the only one who climbed the dingy stairs that day and read the penciled script upon joe's door will not return until evening j louton many others came all exceedingly unlike the first visitor some were quick and watchful dodging into the narrow entrance furtively some smiled contemptuously as long as they were in view of the street drooping wanly as they reached the stairs some were brazen and amused and some were thin and troubled not all of them read the message for not all could read 
but all looked curiously through the half-opened door at the many roses which lifted their heads delicately from a water-pitcher on joe's desk to scent that dusty place with their cool breath most of these clients after a grunt of disappointment turned and went away though there were a few either unable to read the message or so pressed by anxiety that they disregarded it who entered the room and sat down to wait for the absentee there were plenty of chairs in the office now bookcases also and a big steel safe but when evening came and the final gray of twilight had vanished from the window panes all had gone except one a woman who sat patiently her eyes upon the floor and her hands folded in her lap until the footsteps of the last of the others to depart had ceased to sound upon the pavement below then with a wordless exclamation she sprang to her feet pulled the window shade carefully down to the sill and when she had done that struck a match on the heel of her shoe a soiled white canvas shoe not a small one and applied the flame to a gas jet the yellow light flared up and she began to pace the room haggardly the courthouse bell rang nine and as the tremors following the last stroke pulsed themselves into silence she heard a footfall on the stairs and immediately relapsed into a chair holding her hands again in her lap her expression composing itself to passivity for the step was very much lighter than joe's a lady beautifully dressed in a white dimity appeared in the doorway she hesitated at the threshold not apparently because of any timidity her expression being too thoughtfully assured for that but almost immediately she came in and seated herself near the desk acknowledging the other's presence by a slight inclination of the head this grave courtesy caused a strong deep flush to spread itself under the rouge which unevenly covered the woman's cheeks as she bowed elaborately in return then furtively during a protracted silence she took stock of the newcomer from the tip of her white suede shoes to the filmy lace and pink roses upon her wide white hat and the sidelong gaze lingered marvelingly upon the quiet delicate hands slender and finely expressive in their white gloves her own hands unlike the ladies began to fidget confusedly and the silence continuing she coughed several times to effect the preface required by her sense of fitness before she felt it proper to observe with a polite titter mr louden seems to be a good while coming have you been waiting very long asked the lady ever since six o'clock yes said the other that is very long yes ma'am it certainly is the ice thus broken she felt free to use her eyes more directly and after a long frank stare exclaimed why you must be miss ariel tabor ain't you yes ariel touched one of the roses upon joe's desk with her fingertips i am miss tabor well excuse me for asking i'm sure it ain't any business of mine said the other remembering the manners due one lady from another but i thought it must be i expect she added with loud inconsequential laughter there's not many in canaan ain't heard you've come back 
she paused laughed again nervously and began less loudly to take off the edge of her abruptness gradually tittering herself down to a pause to fill which she put forth right nice weather we've been having yes said ariel it was rainy first of last week though i don't mind rain so much this with more laughter i stay in the house when it rains some people don't know enough to they say you've heard that saying ain't you miss tabor yes well i tell you she explained noisily there's plenty of ladies and gentlemen in this town that's like that her laughter did not cease it became louder and shriller it had been until now a mere lubrication of the conversation helping to make her easier in miss tabor's presence but as it increased in shrillness she seemed to be losing control of herself as if her laughter were getting away with her she was not far from hysteria when it stopped with a gasp and she sat up straight in her chair white and rigid there she said listening intently ain't that him steps sounded upon the pavement below paused for a second at the foot of the stairs there was a snap of a match then the steps sounded again retreating she sank back in her chair limply it was only someone stopping to light a cigar in the entrance it wasn't joe loudon's step anyway you know his step ariel's eyes were bent upon the woman wonderingly i'd know it to-night was the answer delivered with a sharp and painful giggle i got plenty reason to ariel did not respond she leaned a little closer to the roses upon the desk letting them touch her face and breathing deeply of their fragrance to neutralize a perfume which pervaded the room an odor as heavy and cheap sweet as the face of the woman who had saturated her handkerchief with it a scent which went with her perfectly and made her unhappily definite suited to her clumsily dyed hair to her soiled white shoes to the hot red hat smothered in plumage to the restless stub-fingered hands to the fat plated rings of which she wore a great quantity though surprisingly enough the large diamonds in her ears were pure and of a very clear water it was she who broke the silence once more well she drawled coughing genteelly at the same time better late than never as the saying is i wonder who it is gets up all them comical sayings apparently she had no genuine desire for light upon this mystery as she continued immediately i have a gentleman friend that's always getting em off well he says the best of friends must part and thou strikest me to the heart all kinds of cracks like that he's real comical and yet she went on in an altered voice i don't like him much i'd be glad if i'd never seen him the change of tone was so marked that ariel looked at her keenly to find herself surprised into pitying this strange client of joe's for tears had sprung to the woman's eyes and slid along the lids for she tried vainly to restrain them her face had altered too like her voice haggard lines suddenly appearing about the eyes and mouth as if they had just been penciled there the truth issuing from beneath her pinchbeck simulations like a tragic mask revealed by the displacement of a tawdry covering i expect you think i'm real foolish she said but i've been waiting so awful long and i got a good deal of worry on my mind till i see mr louden i am sorry 
Ariel turned from the roses and faced her and the heavy perfume. I hope he will come soon. I hope so, said the other. It's something to do with me that keeps him away, and the longer he is, the more it scares me. She shivered and set her teeth together. It's kind of hard waiting. I certainly got my share of troubles. Don't you think that Mr. Loudon will be able to take care of them for you? Oh, I hope so, Miss Tabor. If he can't, nobody can. She was crying openly now, wiping her eyes with her musk-soaked handkerchief. We had to send for him yesterday afternoon. To come to Beaver Beach, do you mean? asked Ariel, leaning forward. Yes, ma'am. It all begun out there. Leastways, it begun before that with me. It was all my fault. I deserve all that's coming to me, I guess. I done wrong. I done wrong. I'd oughtn't never to have went out there yesterday. She checked herself sharply, but after a moment's pause continued, encouraged by the grave kindliness of the delicate face and the shadow of the wide white hat. I'd oughtn't to have went, she repeated. Oh, I reckon I'll never, never learn enough to keep out of trouble, even when I see it coming. But that gentleman friend of mine, Mr. Nashville Cory is his name, he kind of coaxed me into it, and he's right comical when he's with ladies, and he's good company, and he says, Claudine, we'll dance the light fantastic, he says, and I kind of wanted something cheerful. I've been working steady quite a spell, and it looked like he wanted to show me a good time, so I went, and that's what started it. Now that she had begun, she babbled on with her story, at times incoherently, full of excuses made to herself more than to ariel pitifully endeavouring to convince herself that the responsibility for the muddle she had made was not hers mr cory told me my husband was drinking and wouldn't know about it and besides he says what's the odds of course i know there was trouble between him and mr fear that's my husband a good while ago when mr fear up and laid him out that was before me and mr fear got married I hadn't even been to Canaan then. I was on the stage. I was on the stage quite a while in Chicago before I got acquainted with my husband. You were on the stage? Ariel exclaimed involuntarily. Yes, ma'am. Living pictures at Goldberg Tratskeller. In the much of nights, I nearly always done a stretch with a gentleman friend. That's the way I met Mr. Fear. He seemed to be real stuck on me right away, and soon as I got through my turn, he asked me to order whatever I wanted. He's always gentlemanlike when he ain't had too much, and even then he very, very seldom acts rough unless he's jealous. That was the trouble yesterday. I never would have gone to the beach if I'd dreamed what was coming. When we got there, I saw Mike. That's the gentleman that runs the beach, looking at my company and me and kind of anxious, and pretty soon he got me away from Mr. Corey and told me what's what. Seems Mr. Curry only wanted me to go with him to make my husband mad, and it took good care that Mr. Fear heard I'd be there with him, and he'd been hanging around me every time he struck town, just to make Mr. Fear mad, the fresh thing. You see, he wanted to make my husband start something again, this Mr. Curry did, and he was fixed for it. I don't understand, said Ariel. It's this way. If Mr. Fear attracted Mr. Corey, why, Mr. Corey could shoot him down and claim self-defense. You see, it'd be easy for Mr. Corey, because Mr. Fear nearly killed him when they had their first trouble, and that would give Mr. Corey a good excuse to shoot if Mr. Fear just only pushed him. That's the way it is with the law. 
Mr. Corey could wipe out their old score and get off scot-free. Surely not. Yes, ma'am, that's the way it would be. And when Mike told me that Mr. Corey had got me out there just to provoke my husband, I went straight up to him and begun to give him a piece of my mind. I didn't talk loud, because I never was one to make a disturbance and start trouble the way some do. And right while I was talking, we both see my husband pass the window. Mr. Corey give a kind of yelling laugh and put his arm around me just as Mr. Fear come in the door. And then it all happened so quick that you could hardly tell what was going on. Mr. Fear, we found afterwards, had promised Mr. Loudon that he wouldn't come out there, but he took too much. You could see that by the look of him. And forgot his promise, forgot everything but me and Corey, I guess. He come right up to us where I was trying to get away from Corey's arm. It was the left one he had around me and the other behind his back, and neither of them said a word. Corey kept on laughing loud as he could, and Mr. Fear struck him in the mouth. He's little, but he can hit awful hard, and Mr. Corey let out a screech and I see his gun go off right in Mr. Fear's face. I thought, but it wasn't. It only scorched him. Most of the other gentlemen had run, but Mike made a dive and managed to knock the gun to one side just barely in time. Then Mike and three or four others that come out from behind things separated them, both of them fighting to get at each other. They locked Mr. Corey up in Mike's room and took Mr. Fear over to where they hitched the horses. Then Mike sent for Mr. Loudon to come out to talk to my husband and take care of him. He's the only one can do anything with him when he's like that. But before Mr. Loudon could get there, Mr. Fear broke loose and run through a cornfield and got away. At least they couldn't find him. And Mr. Corey jumped through a window and slid down into one of Mike's boats, so they're both gone. When Mr. Loudon come, he only stayed long enough to hear what had happened and started out to find Happy. That's my husband. He's bound to keep him apart, but he hasn't found Mr. Fear yet, or he'd be here. Ariel sunk back in her chair. Why should your husband hide? she asked in a low voice. Waiting for his chance at Corey, the woman answered huskily. I expect he's afraid the cops are after him, too, on account of the trouble, and he doesn't want to get locked up till he's met Corey again. They ain't after him, but he may not know it. They haven't heard of the trouble. I reckon are there to run Corey in. He's around town today, drinking heavy, and I guess he's looking for Mr. Fear about as hard as Mr. Loudon is. She rose to her feet, lifted her coarse hands, and dropped them despairingly. Oh, I'm scared, she said. Mr. Fear's been mighty good to me. A slow and tired footstep was heard upon the stairs, and Joe's dog ran into the room droopingly wagged his tail with no energy and crept under the desk mrs fear wheeled toward the door and stood rigid her hands clenched tight her whole body still except her breast which rose and fell with her tumultuous breathing she could not wait till the laggard step reached the landing mr loudon she called suddenly joe's voice came from the stairway it's all right claudine it's all fixed up don't worry Mrs. Fear gave a thick cry of relief and sank back in her chair as Joe entered the room. He came in shamblingly with his hand over his eyes as if they were very tired and the light hurt them, so that for a moment or two he did not perceive the second visitor. Then he let his hand fall, revealing a face very white and worn. It's all right, Claudine, he repeated. It's all right. 
he was moving to lay his hat on the desk when his eye caught first the roses then fell upon ariel and he stopped stock still with one arm outstretched remaining for perhaps ten seconds in that attitude while she her lips parted her eyes lustrous returned his gaze with a look that was as inscrutable as it was kind yes she said as if in answer to a question i've come here twice to-day she nodded slightly toward mrs fear i can wait i'm very glad to bring good news joe turned dazedly toward the other claudine he said you've been telling miss tabor i certainly have mrs fear's expression had cleared and her tone was cheerful i don't see no harm in that i'm sure she's a good friend of yours mr louden joe glanced at ariel with a faint troubled smile and turned again to mrs fear i've had a long talk with happy i'm awful glad is he ready to listen to reason she asked with a titter he's waiting for you where she rose quickly stop said joe sharply you must be very careful with him don't you suppose i'm going to be she interrupted with a catch in her voice don't you suppose i've had trouble enough no said joe deliberately and impersonally i don't unless you keep remembering to be careful all the time you'll follow the first impulse you have as you did yesterday and your excuse will be that you never thought any harm would come of it he's in a queer mood but he will forgive you if you ask him well ain't that what i want to do she exclaimed i know i know he said dropping into the desk chair and passing his hand over his eyes with a gesture of infinite weariness but you must be very careful i hunted for him most of the night and all day he was trying to keep out of my way because he didn't want me to find him until he had met this fellow in nashville happy is a hard man to come at when he doesn't care to be found and he kept shifting from place to place until i ran him down then i got him in a corner and told him that you hadn't meant any harm which is always true of you poor woman and i didn't leave him till he had promised me to forgive you if you could come and ask him and you must keep him out of cory's way until i can arrange to have him cory i mean sent out of town will you well certainly she answered smiling that nashville's the very last person i ever want to see again the fresh thing mrs fear's burden had fallen her relief was perfect and she beamed vapidly but joe marked her renewed irresponsibility with an anxious eye you mustn't make any mistakes he said rising stiffly with fatigue not me i don't take no more chances she responded titteringly happily not after yesterday my but it's a load off my shoulders i do hate it to have gentlemen quarrelling over me especially mr fear i never did like to start anything i like to see people laugh and be friendly and i'm mighty glad it's all blown over i kind of thought it would all along Sho! she burst into genuine noisy laughter i don't expect either of them meant no real harm to each other after they got cooled off a little if they had met to-day they'd probably both run now mr louden where's happy joe went to the door with her he waited a moment perplexed then his brow cleared and he said in a low voice you know the alley behind vent miller's pool room go down the alley till you come to the second gate go in and you'll see a basement door opening into a little room under miller's bar 
the door won't be locked and happy's in there waiting for you but remember oh don't you worry she cut him off loudly i know him inside of an hour i'll have him laughing over all this you'll see when she had gone he stood upon the landing looking thoughtfully after her perhaps after all that is the best mood to let her meet him in he murmured then with a deep breath he turned the heavy perfume had gone the air was clear and sweet and ariel was pressing her face into the roses again as he saw how like them she was he was shaken with a profound and mysterious sigh like that which moves in the breast of one who listens in the dark to his dearest music End of chapter fourteen